Welcome to Building with Brick, Foundational Wisdom on Coaching, Careers, and Christ. This leadership podcast was spawned by Coach Brickner's book, So You Want to Be a Coach, which is the story of a corporate executive who made a drastic career change and became a head men's basketball coach. Dr. Brickner's book is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook on Amazon.com or go to his website, www.drjoebrickner.com. That's drjoebrickner.com. Now, here's this week's podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Building with Brick. My guest, Bill O'Connor, the all-time winningest coach at Rockhurst University, a member of the Hall of Fame at the Greater Kansas City Basketball Coaches Association. Before the break, Bill and I were talking about coaches and mentors, and I want to explore that further. I know his high school coach, Marion Nickel, was the first influence that he had on giving him an idea that maybe he wanted to be a coach. Billy, take it from there and tell us who else were influential in, in you moving in that direction. I can't uh, go forward without mentioning Coach Nolan and Coach Caldwell because uh, these were the two coaches I had in college. And they were different in personality, but very similar in the desire to succeed and to be successful and to win. So... From each of them, I gleaned something. I would tell you that with Coach Nolan, he was more of a guy that dealt with players in terms of making them comfortable and somehow getting the best out of them. Coach Caldwell was such a brilliant mind about the game and tremendous tactician, if that's the proper term. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, You never went into any game not being prepared. I mean, you were prepared. We might not get it done, but we were prepared. Mm -hmm. Um, So from both of them, I learned those two important points for me were relationship with your players and and trying not to put your players in situations they weren't prepared for. So I don't know if if, uh, that kind of fills in on that, but... I do know that that from those guys, those I, I consider those to be two important points. Yeah, I was blessed to been up there when both of those were coaching. I I had Nolan as the head coach for all four years. Kawa was our assistant, and it was basically Nolan was staying on the sideline in practice, and Kawa ran practice. But the game, and I know Coach Kawa would feed information to Coach Nolan on the bench during a game. Most of the time, I think Nolan took that advice, but it was his team. It was Nolan's team. And the thing that he did for me that I used when I got into coaching was he never got excited. You know, he never panicked. He was just, everything was calm, cool. And maybe that came from him being a quarterback in, in college, but he was cool, calm, he call a timeout, bring you over. He'd try and talk you through things, you know, settle you down if it needed to be. Um, and he'd fire you up sometimes if, if that needed to be done too. But even with that, I loved our assistant coach, Coach Caldwell. There was something about him 
I mean, and he was tough. He was tough. Uh, he got after you, but you always knew he was getting after you to make you better. And uh, and those those are a couple of things that I took away from that. Coach Caldwell was so he could make he truly would make practice tougher than any game you ever played. <laughs> when, when the game started, there was a sense of relief. Was, let's just, let's go do this. But it was, uh, again, I'll repeat this. And it's very, very important. At least it was to me. You knew exactly what your job was to do, your role and how your team played. And you were expected to do it. I agree with you on Coach Nolan. I would tell you, I only saw him get mad one time. He kicked the ball into the rafters and looked over and told the manager, tell them that dinner's going to be late tonight. <laughs> I, I <laughs> closed the cafeteria at a set time. I thought, we might be going hungry. <laughs> so, but that was the only time I ever really saw him get upset. Other than that, he was in control. So there you go. Yeah, I remember that. That was when I was a sophomore. I'm sorry. It must have been when I was a junior. Because, I mean, he was really irritating. He never saw everybody look like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> and, well, was there a difference when, like, you had Nolan as a head coach for two years, and then you had Cowell as a head coach. Was, was Cowell any different as a head coach versus an assistant coach? Not really. I don't think Coach Caldwell changed one iota. He just moved down the bench 18 inches mm -hmm. and was now calling the shots. Mm -hmm. um, same level of expectation, same level of preparation, great, tremendous approach defensively. He had the offensive uh, systems in that Coach Nolan and others. And then, of course, he brought his intensity, passion, and um, strategy to the defensive end. If you were going to go into coaching, these were two guys it was great to play for because they gave you a really good roadmap to follow. Mm -hmm. So as to when you went in and did – most coaches, most young coaches, coach the way they were coached in college or high school. Right. There's no doubt. Right. But the guys that I was following – they're pretty darn good. I was using stuff that was pretty darn good. And then as, as you grow older, you incorporate a little bit more what you think is more successful. I still, if I was still coaching, I would still use quite a bit of stuff that I learned from Coach Nickel, Coach Caldwell, and Coach Nolan. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I, I think this, Joe, I'll give you the point I'm trying to make. I don't care if you're playing grade school, high school, junior college, college, or pros. There are certain elements of the game that are the same. Mm -hmm. There's certain part of the game that's central to every one of those levels. And so some of the stuff that I was lucky enough to learn at the high school and college level, it's effective and it's meaningful at every level. There are just certain things you have to do. If you're able to get your players to understand that and to play together, you have a great chance of success. Tell me, Bill, were there other coaches after you got out? You were an assistant coach for a number of uh, different schools. Was there anybody else that you really felt like was a mentor? When I graduated from Benedict's, I went right into teaching and coaching, and I became a head coach the first year. So I went from <laughs> shooting jumpers and playing to now you're the head coach. At that point in time, I went through four years where I was a head coach, and the guys who worked with me were like all good people, but were football coaches who really basketball was just something that they did. So I was uh, fortunately I started at Jefferson County North, and then went to Mar Hill Prep, but I was the head coach, so I didn't have anybody that I was under at that time. 
after that, I went to Ward High School in Kansas City and worked with Doug Bruce. And Doug was great. And it was a great coach, great human being. Again, learned from him. And he went on to Rockhurst High School, became a tremendously successful coach there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had that opportunity to watch how he ran practice, had that opportunity to watch how he handled game situations. And I just continued to learn. Incorporating what I'd done through four years, plus now moving in with a different person there. But that's the high school level stuff, Joe. The guy on the college level that I was so lucky to work for was Jerry Reynolds. And that was at Rockhurst University. I worked, I was lucky enough to work with Jerry for two years. And I learned a lot in those two years about college basketball, the college player. It was eye-opening. It was fun. He was just a great guy. And Rockhurst was a tremendous school. So it was just all the combinations, all the ingredients were there that it was a job I loved. I mean, I just loved it. So there, that's how and, I got going. And Jerry went on to the NBA. Was it the Kings that he went with? Is that? He finished about 30 years in the NBA with the Sacramento Kings, who had been in Kansas City, and they left in 85. And uh, Jerry went from Rockers to Pittsburgh for one year at Pittsburgh State mm. in Pittsburgh, Kansas. And did a fine job there, but I don't blame him a bit. At the end of the year, Sacramento called, and he went out and joined the staff. And 30-plus years later, he finally retired a year or two ago. Is a legend out in Sacramento and just a great human being. What type of positions did he have for them? Was he, was he an assistant coach for them, or did, was it more he administrative? Started, he started out as a video coordinator. And that's when uh, taping and films and all that was just coming of into vogue. Went from there, moved up to assistant coach, from there to interim coach, to head coach. He then went in after that, went into some form of administration, but he also did the broadcasting side. Oh. And he did it for both men and women as they started the WNBA oh, and wow. was, in, was involved in that capacity. And then just recently got out of it, oh, I don't know, three, four years ago. I did visit with Coach back in April, and he's doing great. He's, 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 it's Coach Reynolds. That's, that's who he is. Because <laughs> if, you, if you meet Coach Reynolds, there's only one Coach Reynolds, and he's, he's exactly who he always is. He's a great man. So he was a great mentor. Now you were at Rockhurst, I think, as an assistant for four years, was it? And then, then you moved. Right. I worked uh, – I worked with Coach Reynolds for two and Coach Andy Fisher for two. And then I left Rockhurst and had an opportunity to coach junior college. And I did that for five years. And so uh, that process, that was, uh, that was my introduction to college was four years as an assistant and five years as a head JUCO coach. That was at Colby, I think, wasn't it? Out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> oh, no, no. Hold on there. Col- <laughs> Colby is the... Uh, is the county seat of Thomas County, and uh, it, it had a community college. It was, uh, as I said, a county seat, had a hospital, great people. Uh, it was 383 miles from home, but but it uh, really good people. I met, I met many fine people out there. I was glad to do the five years I learned. You know what I learned? I learned I didn't want to be a junior college coach. Why? Uh, you're around guys for two years at a max, and they're gone then it's, it's a whole new shuffle. And I'm not good with that. I like being around and building teams and building relationships and doing all that kind of thing. And uh, plus, uh, 
Uh, maybe it was because I was getting my brains beat in by Bar Martin <laughs> County and, <laughs> and Great Bend and, you know, Seward and, you know, Hutchison. But uh, Kansas Juco hoops in those days in the mid 80s, oh, yeah. it was outstanding. Yeah. And so it was fun to get into the game. But uh, uh, you had to have you better uh, get good people and you better coach them up. Now, how did you go about recruiting to a place like Colby, Kansas? Because I, like I say, it's 400 miles from Kansas City. It's probably what 250 or so, maybe from Denver, or maybe 200. Right, right. You're yeah. pretty close. 233 miles. Is it? <laughs> how did you convince kids to come way out there and play for you? I wasn't, uh, it wasn't as easy as you think, or uh, I'd like, I would, I would love to say, hey, it wasn't hard, no, but I, we did have a strategy that Kansas City to Denver uh, were the two metropolitan areas we would focus on, because I knew Kansas City, mm -hmm. and Denver was the closest to Kobe, and so I thought, if we can get players, that should be two areas we go to. I also told the administration that I will recruit every local western Kansas kid that I believe could play. And I told them that I would visit every high school in a calendar year. I would go out and be at that high school. So if you took a map and drew a complete circle around Colby and went out, probably an eight or 10 county area, uh, I did visit each high school and met the basketball coach and did that because I was always looking. If you could find a Kansas kid that could play, that was a plus. And we got guys from Rexford, Kansas, from Weston, Kansas, from Colby, Kansas. We never got anybody from Goodland. Just couldn't do it. Tried to get some people from Topeka and Russell. And but we got kids from a lot of towns who ended up being okay players. Uh, but you would, if you had, if you're going to be really successful, you needed um, three or four kids that were going to be D1 caliber level players. And if you didn't get them, you better, you better play well every night and, and guard hard every possession and don't turn <laughs> it over. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Well, you left Colby. Was that when you went to Pan American? I did. Uh, it was an opportunity to be a D1 coach for, with Coach Kevin Wall. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I know Kevin. He needed an assistant, and uh, <clears throat> I went down there. And uh, actually, uh, unfortunately, we only lasted a year. But, again, it was a very valuable experience in terms of being around a Division I program and seeing Division I caliber people and all the process that you had to go through uh, in preparation uh, to play at that level. What, what was the difference between Division II NCAA and Division I in, in your mind? What's, what's the biggest difference? The offhand uh, flippant answer is that everybody's an inch or two longer and quicker. But as flippant as that sounds or as, you know, simple answer, <laughs> it's just that uh, they're bigger, stronger, faster. There are the exceptions. I will say this, too. I don't think there's Division One coach in this country that didn't make a mistake in recruiting. There are guys at the D2 level who can really play, and this portal will eventually show that, or already has, that are D1 guys. And there are D1 guys that are be D2 guys. But you better not make that mistake too often, or you won't be coaching at that level. That's just the long and short of that. But generally, bigger, quicker, faster. The skill level was a little bit better. They could get the balls quicker. You know, be just use the simple rule of who gets most more loose balls. Well, generally it's that division one guy because they were just quick and strong. So your best D2 teams, if they played a, uh, a lower level D1 team, I'm not sure that your best D2 teams 
well, maybe the best D2 team in the country could beat a lot of low D1 teams, uh, especially if a D1 team would come over to their home court. <laughs> uh, which they never would do. But <laughs> you'd never do that. But if you had to play on the road, I'll bring up a quick point. I do think there's too many D1 teams. Uh, instead of, what do we got, 280 or more? I thought I saw yesterday in the papers, 385. Okay. Well, then maybe, and I've, I've got nothing against that, but those, the bottom 80, come on, nothing against it, except that they'd probably be better served as a Division Two or NAI or D3 level and enjoy that. But um, I think they're all chasing the opportunity to possibly, you know, get lightning in a bottle and make the tournament. That's exactly right. You know, thinking about the teams that we played back when we were in college, shoot, at least half of them now are NCAA Division One. And then thinking about the players, you know, when, when we were playing, if you were black and you were in the South, you played NAIA basketball. You didn't play in the SEC, you know, you didn't play in any of those conferences in the talent level was unbelievable. I think there were 500 and the year we won the national title, I think there were 530 schools, NAIA schools that we were competing against. And the, and I still remember on the first night of the term or the night before the tournament starts, they have this big dinner for all 32 teams. And I remember walking in, it was Alcorn State was standing right in front of us. And we walked in. Now we had one six eight guy. He's a freshman, and, and uh, Steve Northcraft. Then the next biggest guy was six five, and then after that, it was six three and below for us. That was it. We walked in, and Alcorn State is sitting there, and they didn't have anybody that was shorter than our second tallest guy, our six five guy. Everybody else was six five, six six, you know, six ten. And I'm going, my gosh, you know. We got to play against these guys. And then we end up, obviously, we, we were really good and really quick and all that stuff. And we ended up beating all those people. But it was amazing. And the talent that you saw in that tournament back then, oh, my goodness, there were some great, great players. Just great players. And what a lot of people don't understand but should is that you guys won five games in basically six days. Right. That's unheard of today. Plus, you were playing quality opponent you might have gotten a, a draw in the first game but by the time you got to the second game second third fourth and fifth it just got incrementally tougher and to do that within six days the stamina and the toughness for whoever if it's St. Benedict's whoever that ended up champion but is every year people don't understand how difficult that task is yeah, it was it was amazing. <laughs> we almost got beaten the first first game. We were seated number one, which was amazing. The only reason we were seated number one is because Winston Salem had uh, Earl of Pearl, and they decided to go to the NCAA tournament instead of the NAI. They had their choice. They were no, oh, I didn't know that. They were, yeah, they were in both conferences. Otherwise, we'd have been seated number two. It was it was amazing. Seated number one, we're playing the thirty second seated team, and we came within two minutes of losing that game. You know, it was tight. We ended up winning by maybe six or eight, but with a minute to go, Greg Glower hits a, a bomb from the corner. It's only two points back then and put us up three. And then we made our way the rest of the way into a six point win or whatever it was. But you know, that first round and you almost lose and then you end up right. winning the whole thing. So it was really something. 
Absolutely. Bill, I think we're going to take another break. And, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your experience at Rockhurst. You came back from Pan American, I think, and then you went and took the head coaching job at Rockhurst University. And you were there for 21 or 22 years. So I want to talk about that experience and then some of the other things that went into how you developed your, your players, uh, both on and off the court. Very good. All right. 